Welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Sorry about uh, missing the podcast last week. I try to um, try to get it every week, but sometimes life just happens, and I wasn't able to get to it last week. But we are resuming today in our study on theology, and we're going to be talking about pneumatology today. Uh, this one is, I think, interesting in a lot of ways because it gets so much abuse today. In fact, God the Father and God the Son, as we've seen, uh, also get abused in theology. But this one, particularly um, with um, uh, charismatics, Pentecostals, those kinds of uh, churches tend to um, pretty severely abuse the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But I want to begin today by reading our statement in our um, uh, church statement of faith that says this, we believe the Holy Spirit is fully God, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. We believe he regenerates, indwells believers, illuminates scripture, intercedes for the believer in prayer, seals the believer, and is the believer's helper. We believe the Holy Spirit enables the believer to live a Christ-like life as the believer submits to and is controlled by the Spirit. First thing to note is that we have identified the Holy Spirit as God himself. I argued for this in the podcast on the Trinity, so I won't rehash that again, but uh, it is important to understand that the Holy Spirit is not just some kind of impersonal force, but um, is, uh, is, is God himself. He is one with God, just like God the Son, uh, and there also is the distinctiveness as well, as we've noted in the Trinity. Um, two verses in Genesis, and, and I just started a series for those of you who are in our um, uh, part of our church family. We did start a series in the book of Genesis, and I, I noted two verses there on the Holy Spirit uh, that, um, that, that introduced the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to us. It's not fully fleshed out, but it is introducing it. Uh, Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You have the Holy Spirit there involved in creation. And then in Genesis 6, 3, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. Uh, Again, I bring this up to acknowledge the fact that uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is consistent throughout all of Scripture. Um, and Genesis does not contradict New Testament revelation. Uh, it doesn't mean, as I said, that this is fully fleshed out, but it, uh, it does mean that all of Scripture is consistent, and you have the Holy Spirit even back in the book of Genesis. And with that in mind, the Scripture does reveal to us the role of the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity do have distinct roles, and these roles do have some overlap. For instance, all three members of the Trinity are involved in creation. Of course, we know God the Father is. We just saw a minute of God the, the Holy Spirit. And then in John 1, Colossians 1, we also see Christ uh, as the one who has created all things. Uh, but uh, at the same time, there are certain roles uh, that certain members of the Trinity are, are specifically and closely involved in. And uh, we saw that with the statement that I just read on pneumatology, on the Holy Spirit. There are particular roles that the Holy Spirit plays. Uh, The problem with uh, charismatic Pentecostal theology is that they have exaggerated uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that in many cases we have have heresy. Uh, and, And much of this actually has seeped into otherwise good theologically sound churches. So 
we could spend a lot of time talking about um, their theology, but I want to talk for just a minute on how this kind of seeps into uh, kind of the average evangelical Christian um, in a way that, that is not, uh, I don't think is very helpful. So you, you, may, you may have heard this kind of theology when you hear someone say something like this, the Holy Spirit told me to dot, 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 whatever it is. Uh, I actually um, worked with a guy at one point who told me that uh, he was uh, he was at the movie theater, and after the movie was over, he walked up to just this random strange woman there and said, you know, God, the Holy Spirit told me that I'm supposed to marry you, and he actually claimed that uh, that was the woman he married. I, I, I assume that's the case. I don't know. Uh, but that kind of thought process where God or the Holy Spirit told me to do this, told me to tell you this, or whatever. If you go online, you'll see all sorts of videos where someone is claiming that the Holy Spirit gave them a message and that you need to hear it. I even watched a video where there was a kid who said that the Holy Spirit told him not to go to school, and he was staying at home watching television instead. Now, sometimes I'll hear this kind of... Uh, phraseology used uh, in maybe a better way. I I still think we can improve it a little bit, but sometimes I'll hear people say this, God told me to share the gospel with that person. And sometimes I understand what what they're communicating, and and perhaps I've even used that language before. And again, I think that I need to modify that if I have. Um, I, I think I know what most people maybe are communicating when they say God told me to share the gospel with that person. They're hopefully communicating that God's word, the Bible, tells us to share the gospel. And when they saw that person, their conscience reminded them of that scripture, and they went to go evangelize that person. So that person, I I hear what they're saying. Uh, I still think it's helpful to modify the language a little bit. Um, what we sometimes mean when we say the Holy Spirit told me to do such and such, what we sometimes are meaning is the Bible communicates that I should dot, dot, dot. And if that's what we mean, then then that's good because we're acknowledging that the scripture is the authority. We're acknowledging that there is uh, no new private revelation stuff going on. Um, but if we mean that God physically and audibly spoke to me, then we're really starting to leave biblical orthodoxy. There's a quote that is attributed to John Owen that that goes like this. Um, you can just find this on the internet. Quote, if private revelations agree with scripture, they are needless. And if they disagree, they are false. Say that one more time. If private revelations agree with scripture, so someone gets a private revelation, a word from God or whatever. If private revelations agree with scripture, then they're needless. Why do we need... Uh, a new revelation that already agrees with scripture. And then the quote continues, um, if they disagree, then they are false. So anything that disagrees with the Bible is false. Um, now, th- I have seen this quote circulating all over the place. And and just as a side note, uh, I can't find anywhere that John Owen did say this. If you, if you do find it, by the way, send it to me. Um, what I can say, though, is that J.I. Packer in his book, A Quest for Godliness, says something very close to this. And he actually is, in fact, speaking about John Owen, but he's paraphrasing Owen's concept. He's not giving an exact quote. I'm actually going to read to you 
what J.I. Packer writes in his book, A Quest for Godliness. And I think that this is the source of the quote um, that's attributed to Owen. But J.I. Packer writes this. He says, quote, In a Latin work, Owen calls the Quakers fanatics for their attitude. He is quick to deploy against them the old dilemma that if their private revelations agree with Scripture, they are needless, and if they disagree, they are false, end quote. Let me just make a slight rabbit trail here uh, in detour, and that is, um, as Christians, we ought to be very concerned for the truth. And so I would encourage you, before you share a post or something, to check and make sure that um, it actually is what that person said. Uh, There's actually another one, I'm trying to remember it right now, it's a C.S. Lewis quote that's circulating around that is not something that he said. Uh, something about um, uh, you can go back to the beginning and start, oh, I don't remember what it is, but something along those lines. There's a C.S. Lewis quote, and um, a, a, as a reminder, you know, we need to be careful that we're not just recycling all these things without doing any homework because we need to be concerned about truth. We love truth as Christians, not just because something, or we don't, we don't just have a concern for throwing things out there on the internet that agree with our position, but we also have the concern that those things are truthful, they're accurate, they're correct. And so uh, be careful about uh, quoting John Owen like this uh, if he didn't really say it, or C.S. Lewis or whoever. Uh, rabbit trail. Back to the, the quote and to uh, this, this idea. Uh, what Packer writes is true if a private so-called revelation agrees with Scripture, then why was it necessary in the first place? And if it disagrees, then it's wrong. Uh, Scripture itself actually gives to us this criteria. Before the canon of Scripture was closed, uh, when God would communicate through prophets, we read this qualification in Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In this statement, uh, this scripture certainly agrees with Packer's statement on on private revelations. The criteria uh, in Deuteronomy for a prophet is that it has to agree with scripture. Even if this prophet comes and says, uh, and shows you a miraculous sign, and then after that he says, hey, let's come do this thing or that thing that doesn't agree with scripture. Let's worship this God. Uh, the the Israelite is told, don't do that. Don't obey him. Don't listen to him. It's a test to see if you really do love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, now, how do we know that a statement or a so-called private revelation doesn't violate Scripture? How do you know that? It's by knowing Scripture thoroughly. And that really is the the, the key to all of this in knowing God's will, in knowing what God expects of us, in knowing what God wants us to do, it is to know the Bible. It is to know the Scripture. It is not to go out and seek some kind of private revelation. It's not to go and become some kind of monk somewhere uh, on the mountaintop and and meditate all day long. 
um, the, the answer is that we know the Bible, we know the Scripture, we know the Word of God, because that is how God speaks to us. Now, again, I'm not saying that there are legitimate private revelations today. I don't believe that's the case. All I'm saying is that when prophets did speak, even there, there were certain qualifications for accepting or rejecting the message, and it was always qualified by previous revelation, by previous scripture. God speaks to us today through his word. Now, I want to add something to that. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit is absent from this process. It just isn't the way that the charismatic is claiming that it happens. So with that being said, let's just briefly look at a couple of ministries of the Holy Spirit that we referenced in that earlier statement I read, um, our statement of faith. And we'll start with this one that we're talking about right now, and that is the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the illumination of the Word. What role does the Holy Spirit have in teaching me what God wants me to know? And we'll start with John, or 1 John 2 and verse 27, which says this, But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. What this is teaching us is what we call the illumination of the, or the illumination ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's word so that we can understand it. Now, we're, we're really... Um, probably not at all uh, aware of this process while it's happening, usually. Um, the Holy Spirit simply gives us a supernatural understanding of the text of Scripture. So 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 is another passage for this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So you've got the natural person, that is the unregenerate person, does not either, uh, well, does not both accept the things of God's Spirit and also does not understand those things uh, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The, the passage continues, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so what you have here is the reality that we need the Holy Spirit in order to understand the Word and also to accept the Word. The Holy Spirit does play a role in understanding God's will, but it is not, with where we are today with the closed canon, it is not in some kind of audible uh, voice. Someone has said one time, if you, if you want to hear God's voice, uh, read your Bible. If you want to hear God's voice out loud, read the Bible out loud. Uh, and that's the concept that we're talking about here. We, we need the Holy Spirit in order to understand the Word uh, and, and, and also to, uh, to, to accept it. The Holy Spirit also has a, a role of interceding for us in our weakness. Uh, Romans 8, 26 to 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This one's particularly refreshing for us as believers in Christ. When we don't know how to pray, he prays for us. One more, and that is the Holy Spirit enables us to live a Christ-like life. Galatians 5.16 but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need the Spirit so that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Mutually exclusive concepts. If you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to gratify the flesh. And so we need the Holy Spirit, not just for our initial salvation, but also for our sanctification. 
earlier in Galatians, Paul writes this in Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish? Having, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? We are to lean not on our own strength. Synergistic religion and synergistic faith is bankrupt. Instead, we are to acknowledge that everything in our faith comes from God. Rest in him for divine revelation in his word and rest in him also for living out the Christian life. He's sufficient. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.